Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, that whether it's daytime, nighttime, all the time, your word is fresh, it's from you. We love it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, if you've got your Bible here, you've also got the verse in the bulletin here, it's Matthew chapter four, verse four. It's a key verse for us. The verse says, but he answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's talking about the word of God. The word of God, is it's interesting because, you know, in the book of Romans, there's a very interesting title for the Bible, for the word of God. It's actually, we put it on one of the first pages in the Friendship with God Bible because it's given where Paul is explaining in context about the Jews because he's writing to Gentiles in Romans and he's making a point in there and he's saying that, look, if a person is not circumcised and they keep the law, then it's counted like they were circumcised. If a person is circumcised and they don't keep the law, then it's counted like they're not circumcised. And so that raises a very logical question, which he brings up in the third chapter in verse one, where he says, all right, what advantage then hath the Jew? Where's the advantage of the Jew? And what profit is there in circumcision? And then he goes on, he explains, much in every way, in many, many aspects, much in every way, but chiefly, because that unto them were committed, and here's the beautiful title for the word of God, the oracles of God, the oracles of God. Now, so you say, what's the benefit of being circumcised? He says, okay, he says, the issue here is much in every way because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, what he says here is that the oracles of God were committed. That's an interesting word, committed. I'm no Greek. I'm not the son of a Greek, I don't know Greek, but anyway, this this word pisteo, and I probably have butchered it, so you'll probably say pistachio, but that's okay. But <laughs> So it's translated in this verse, in Romans 3.2, as committed, as committed. But most of the time in the Bible, that word is translated believe. As a matter of fact, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, it's there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, Believe, okay? That's the word pisteo, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, on one hand, we have this word translated believe, and then on another hand, we have it here translated in Romans 3, 2, committed, committed. And that's interesting because when we put the two together, we can get an understanding of what does it really mean to believe to a point of salvation, saving belief, okay? Saving belief, it goes beyond just a mental agreement. How many times have you heard people say, oh, I believe in God, you know, I believe the Bible's true, I believe, and you know that that person has not believed into. In other words, they haven't been saved. 
Because, and James brings this up, he says, well, congratulations, the devils believe also. But you know, they're not going to heaven. So this is an interesting word because what it really is talking about here, and this is where we have to get to the question, how did God commit the oracles of God to the Jewish people? Because if we answer that question, then we're gonna understand what it means to believe. Well, first of all, God entrusted to the Jews the oracles of God to receive them by revelation. Now, for 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1.21 brings it out, 2 Peter 1.21, where Peter says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. In other words, somebody just didn't sit down and say, boy, I'm gonna write the Bible, I'm gonna write God's words. No, she says, it didn't come by the will of man. He didn't become somebody who says, I wanna do this. But by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's an interesting word, moved. That's the same word when Paul is talking about being on that ship in the latter chapters of Acts where it's just blown about and it doesn't have any power because there's such a great wind that's just carried that boat off immediately and eventually becomes shipwrecked from the great wind. That's the word, moved. In other words, they were blown, so to speak, by the Holy Ghost to write these things. These were called holy men of God who were moved in that way by the Holy Ghost. And they were all Jews. And that, so that's the first way. In other words, God committed the oracles of God, the, the word of God to the Jews by giving it to the Jews to receive it by revelation. The second thing which God did, and now really we're talking about entrusting or trusting. See, God entrusted the Jews to receive the word of God. Then God trusted the Jews or entrusted the Jews with making the word of God known, making the oracles of God known through preaching. Psalm 6811, Psalm 6811 says this, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. Okay, now don't think about printing presses back there, you know, a lot of publishers, you know, no. Because the word published there, the word published is the same word that's used, the same Hebrew word in Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61.1 says this, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me, that's the Messiah, he hath anointed me to preach, that's that Hebrew word, basar, to preach the good tidings unto the meek. So what that means is that those men preached the word of God, and all of them were Jews, and all of them were Jews. Some of them did a better job than others. They got killed for it. Many of them didn't do such a great job because really God said, I want you to preach this to the world. And even today, the Jews don't do that. They don't do that. They're not evangelical. They blame us. They blame Christians for being, you're evangelical. We Jews are not evangelical, to their shame because they were entrusted with the word of God to be evangelical, to be preachers of the word of God. But that was a trust that God gave to them. First he gave them, the God, entrusted them to receive it by revelation, which Moses, prophets, others did, and write it down, okay, they did that. Second, they were entrusted to make it known by preaching, okay. Then the third thing that God entrusted them with, with the word of God, is he entrusted the Jews to preserve the oracles of God, preserve the oracles of God. Make sure it didn't change. You know, it says in Proverbs 30, verse five, Proverbs 35, it says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. So the word of God is pure because no other words have been added to it. That would be what we would call impurities. No other word has been added to it. That's what he says. And also he put that in Proverbs 30, verse six. Proverbs 30, verse six. Add thou not unto his words. 
Now, the people who were responsible for preserving the word of God, they were all Jews. They were all Jews. And this, we have to say, they did a very good job with. They did a very good job. As you may know, that there are basically two categories of Jews. There's the hyper ones, like me, and they're called the Ashkenazi, Ashkenazic, and they're from Russia, Eastern Europe, you know, and, you know, they have klezmer music. That should tell you everything. So <laughs> if you know klezmer music, it's kind of like uh, hyped up jazz. Anyway, and that's the majority, the Ashkenazic Jews. Netanyahu is an Ashkenazi Jew. Okay, so that's the majority. That's your, that's your typical type A in your face, New York City. Okay, that's what you think. The other Jews, the other Jews, just a smaller minority, are called the Sephardic Jews. They are the Jews from Spain, North Africa, Morocco, even Iraq, Iran. You know, it's kind of those Arab countries. They're different. They're very, very different. They don't come on strong. They're more artistic. They're more into the arts, you know. Anyway, the reason that they're called Sephardic is because they really were involved historically in the book. Sephar means book. So they are of the book, you know? As a matter of fact, the Muslims in the Quran, they talk about the Jews, they said, people of the book, people of the book. They're really talking about Fardics because as far as Muslims and Arabs were concerned, those are the ones that they had contact with there in those places of North Africa and the Arab countries. So the issue here, back in the 1950s, there was a famous reading of the Word of God, famous reading of the Masoretic text, which is still used today. You can get it online, all the back long, anyways, back then, especially with the formation, after the formation of the state of Israel, that everybody learned how the Bible sounded from this reader, this famous reader. You wanna hear it sounds, I can play it to you on my iPhone, or you can download it on your iPhone. But anyway, he's Sephardic. It's a very Sephardic pronunciation of the Hebrew. The Ashkenazi, because they have to be different from the Sephardic, they change the way words are sounded. You know, the, the word for Israel is Yisrael, Yisrael, that's how you say it, that's how you say it. That's the correct way, that's the Sephardic way. You know, of course, the Ashkenazis, they said, no, we can't say that, so they say Yisroel, okay? So, you know, David, David, that's the correct way. No, the Ashkenazis said, I gotta say Dovid, okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. But all I'm trying to point out to you is that there is this group of the Jewish people that are Sephardic, which are all concerned with the word of God, with accuracy of the word of God. Now, what the Jews have done is they have painstakingly painstakingly preserved the original integrity of the word of God, and is very painstaking, and then the scribes, because each Hebrew letter has a number that's assigned to it, you know, Aleph, one, and so forth, and so it really, you know, if you wanna see numbers, you know, you don't have numbers, you have letters. So each Hebrew letter, each Hebrew letter has a number that's associated with it. So here's how they did it. When a page of the Bible was copied by hand, was scribed out by hand, what they did is that, of course, they would end up with a row of letters and columns of letters up and down. And what they would do, and, of course, and then like I said, there is a number associated with each letter. So what they would do is that when a page was copied is that all the numbers associated with those letters lengthwise across the row were added up for each row to get a grand total for each row. And similarly, on columns, they would take all the numbers that, that corresponded with the letters in each column, and they would add each column up and get a grand total uh, uh, for, the, for, the, for the columns. So what you would have when you have a page that was copied is you would have a row, you would have a column of numbers that were for the rows, and you would have a row of columns at the bottom that were for all the columns, okay? I'm sure I've totally confused you. You're not following me at all, but that's okay. 
Are you? Okay, all right, good. All right, and then someone would come along and they would take the original one and they would compare all those numbers. And if one of those numbers was off, they throw the whole book out and start doing it again. So you can be sure that if you're the one that's doing that work, you're gonna be pretty careful because you're gonna lose your whole work. So that was very painstaking on how they made copies of the Old Testament and therefore that's the reason why the Old Testament that we have today in Hebrew, the Masoretic text, it's the same as Moses wrote it and all the other authors of the Bible wrote it because those copiers and those scribes were so fanatic about how they did it and they were all Jews. That was a grand trust that God put in the hands of the Jews with his word or the oracles of God. That was the amazing thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were not the oldest uh, scriptures that were found. There were some that were, that were actually found in an archeology span dig in Jerusalem that are a little older, but that was only part of Numbers and other parts. But the amazing thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls was that these were documents that were hundreds of years, written hundreds of years before the birth of the Lord, and they're perfect. They're perfect as we have it today, letter by letter. Now, that was a grand advantage for the Jews to have God take his word from heaven and to put it into their trust. He, he put trust in them. He put confidence in them. He trusted the Jews with his word to receive it by revelation, to give it out by preaching, and to preserve it by these methods I was to explain in the careful copying. So when Romans says in, in Romans 3, 2, the oracles of God were committed to the Jews, that means that God trusted the Jews with his word. When that same word is used to speak in John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him, again, we're seeing the same thing. We always think of trust and reliance as from man to God. We trust God, we rely on God, and that's what's happening in John 3, 16. However, in Romans 3, 2, it's the other way. It's God trusting man. It's God relying on man with the oracles of God. Now, and by the way, since both the Old and New Testaments were written by are the oracles of God, and it says they were committed to God and committed to Jews, in other words, that means that the New Testament is also received from God by Jews as well. Every book in the New Testament was written by Jews. I know that some people say that Luke was not Jewish because his name is Lucas, which is not a Jewish name, it's true. It's a Greek name, it means light, okay? That's the only reason they say that Luke was not Jewish was because his name wasn't Jewish. Another thing, of course, he was a doctor and there's no such thing as Jewish doctors, so you know, he couldn't be Jewish, right? <laughs> but there are many Jews who don't have a Jewish name. You know, Alexander the Great, he had a dream as he was before he came into Jerusalem that he was to honor the Jewish high priest. And so when he arrived there, he got off his horse and he honored the Jewish high priest, much to the shock of his generals who asked him, why did you do that? He should be honoring you. And he said, no, no, I had a dream. So, and since that time, the high priest at that time said that, okay, we're gonna honor you because we're gonna name our babies Alexander, which is the reason why today you have many Jews who are named Alex or Alec, because that started there. Thomas, my name, is not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name also, it means twin. But Thomas was one of the apostles, Thomas was Jewish. Moses is not a Jewish name, it's an Egyptian name, it means drawn from the water. So if we wanna say that Luke is not Jewish, then we have to also say that Moses is not Jewish, <laughs> and Thomas is not Jewish, okay, anyway. But to call the, the word of God the oracles of God, it makes it very, very precious, because when the Lord Jesus Christ was fasting in the desert for 40 days and was really on the brink of starvation, 
The devil tempted him to use his power to take stones and to turn them into bread, which he had the power to do. But he responded in this verse that we read in Matthew 4, it really starts up in Matthew 4, 2, where it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungry. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. He was hungry after 40 days, okay. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Then he answered. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I mean, here's the Lord. He's in the desert. He's fasted for 40 days. He's entering these stages of, of starvation. And the devil comes to him and says, look, this can make the difference between life and death for you. And instead of yielding to that temptation, the Lord took a stance and said, you know what? You've overrated food. Something that I'm trying to learn, but never mind. You've overrated food. Because there's actually something more important than food. There's something more important than bread. And then he quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, where it says, you know, as he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the Bible is a book of the words that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's why oracles is such a great title for the Bible, because oracles means oral or mouth. So the call of the scriptures, the oracles of God, is to say those were the words that came from his mouth. God's words, those are life words. Those are words that give life. Because why? Because everything about God is life. God is life. Life springs from God. This is what happened in creation in Genesis 2.7. In Genesis 2.7, when it says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth, of the dust of the ground, then it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What a dramatic scene is that? That's a real CPR, you know, putting his the nostrils, breathing in the breath of life. And then it says, man became something unique. Man became a living soul, a living soul. So God makes man from the dust, and that was man. Man is made there, but he is dust without a living soul. And then God puts his mouth over the nostrils of man and breathes into man, and he becomes a living soul. Before you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our souls. When we came to know God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, new life began, began through knowledge, life through knowledge, as he says in John 17, three, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So it's life through knowledge, it's life through knowing God. And then our new life grew through the word of God, through the word of God, as it says in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And our soul continues to grow, and it continues to grow as we take in the word of God as if we view it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, as, as is told to us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where it says, for this cause also, thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It works when you receive it, when it's received as the word of God. Now, let us look at, carefully hone in on what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he said, man shall not live by bread alone. He was talking about life, live, and he spoke that. He's talking about life, and then he's talking about the word alone, okay? Now, 
He came to give life, John 10, 10, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That word abundantly means beyond. I am come that they might have life beyond the ordinary, beyond the natural, beyond the physical, beyond what you and I would look at, oh, he's alive, he's not alive. No, beyond that, it's the great word beyond. He came to give man life beyond his physical life. That means that man is not complete. He's not complete without this life that goes beyond, without this life that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am come that you might have life and have it beyond. When the Lord Jesus Christ uses the word alone, he's saying man's not complete. Man's not complete. So there's two types of life. Okay, so there's a life that comes from eating bread or food, but or we can even extend that a little bit farther, which we will in a minute. But that's a physical life. That's life. Pity the person. Pity the person who only has that life, who only has a physical life, because there's a much greater life beyond, beyond the physical. See, that's brought out by the word alone. A person can have great food, bread, the bread of food, and he can have wonderful possessions, the bread of possessions. He can have loyal friends, the bread of friends. He can have entertaining pleasures, the bread of pleasures. He can have a great prestige and reputation, the bread of prestige, all from his successes in life. Those are still described by this haunting word of alone, alone, because those are all just with this area, this category of bread alone and man shall not live by bread alone. So the word alone describes really a state of not being enough. It's not enough to have food, possessions, friends, pleasures, and prestige, because those are all in the category of bread alone, and it's not enough, and man shall not live by bread alone. Those are all of the life of the body, and they're not enough. They're all in this category of life called bread alone category of life. Because what's missing in that life is the life of the soul, the life that only comes from the oracles of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that live, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the oracles of God. The word of God proceeding from the mouth of God, the same mouth that gave life when he breathed into Adam the breath of life. Now, the word alone is so interesting because the first time that God uses the word alone appears in the Bible, and it's a statement about man, and you're familiar with this. If you're not, then after you get married, then you'll look at this a lot. And it's in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. All right? I'll make him a helpmeet for him. It's not good that man should be alone. All right, now, so God looks at man, and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. That's the first time the word alone is used. So God said alone meant that man was incomplete, incomplete. It wasn't good for man. Man needed someone to help him. Man needed a helper for himself. And so God made woman to help man. God made woman to be a helper for men. Now, man, I don't know if you see your wives as the helper or not, but that's what God says they are, okay? So you have to believe, all right. Now, we read in our Bible in Genesis 2.18 that the woman was a help meet for man, and when we read the word meet, we think, oh, suitable, just right, just right for man. Okay, that's fine, but that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word is very interesting. It's the word neged, neged. 
It's translated meat, but it really doesn't mean that, suitable or just right. Now, I'm gonna give you some instances here where this word is used, and then you'll see for yourself what this means. Where to get is used in the Bible. It's used in Joshua 5.13, Joshua 5.13. Behold, there stood a man over against Neged with him, with his sword drawn in his hand. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 